Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, I saw the devil and wanted revenge. Thomas Mariani would come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 or to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am the pipe wrench to the proverbial balls of podcasting, Adam Thomas. And I am Thomas Mariani, and if only I could have the golden ticket of becoming an assassin Harry Potter. That's kind of cool, actually, I mean, when you when you describe it, maybe, but there's a few reasons why that's not that cool, <laughs> honestly. But welcome everybody to the Double Edge Double Bill, where every week Adam and I pick a good and a bad film uh, related to a topic, and uh, we talk about them. Um, so at the end of our last episode, we did our picking for this week's topic of revenge films, and uh, you know we kind of talked about this at the end of last episode, but there's a lot of potential to revenge as a topic because your revenge thrillers, there's some certain subcategories of that that are maybe not the wisest to make in a modern age, like the rape revenge kind of thing. But uh, at the same time, it, it's a it's a great motivation. It's one of those big, you know, sort of human motivations that's existed for all time, that revenge is a dish best served cold, as we learned from Klingons. Yeah, and if you want to take any sort of life lessons, the Klingons are the ones that, you know... Great dudes. Klingon never did anything bad. <laughs> never. Well, it really did, because, you know, I, I hate to break this to you, Thomas, but they're not real. I know. Sorry. I learned that language for nothing. Kota. <laughs> even, even the actor who plays Worf isn't real. He's a completely CGI. Well, maybe. Oh, well, back then it was animatronics. Right, Michael Dorn, of course. Yes, yeah. it was a practical yeah. effect. Um, look, I'm all power to him for getting that practical effect to the voice of Weasel, and I am Weasel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Well, you know. It needed more work. Yes, uh, but, but you said at the end of our last episode, Adam, that uh, this genre, this sort of subgenre, is one of your favorites. Why is it uh, so interesting to you? Well, I mean, it's a classic tale. You know, revenge and revenge stories have existed, you know, forever, from fairy tales to Disney movies to everything. And it's just, like, usually it ends, you know, on a note that you know it's probably going to go where whoever the person that is seeking the revenge is probably going to get it. Uh, usually it's a bad guy has to pay his sort of comeuppance who did something horrible to, you know, the sort of protagonist or whatever. But the really smart ones are, you know, it's the very simple sort of, but at what cost sort of idea that this revenge come, you know, when it becomes all consuming and everything, it just makes for exciting cinema. Yeah. I think it's because it's such like a standard motivation. Like it could be a Shakespeare play. It could be an action movie. Like so many different human impulses are motivated in many cases by revenge Seeking that ability of, like, I want to be, you know, unwronged. I was wronged, and I must do another wrong or make a right. That's what the Bible tells us, everybody. But um, it's it's an interesting, you know, motivation that's very human, very real. It's a very palpable motivation for good reason. Yeah. But uh, we're here to talk about two that kind of verge more into the uh, genre fair of it. Because uh, uh, we have, at the end of our last episode, we picked my bad pick of Wanted. And we uh, picked your good pick of I Saw the Devil. 
uh, two films that, you know, kind of have a lot of action to them, uh, but apply it in very different bizarre ways, as we'll uh, get to with our first off, uh, we'll start with the bad one, Wanted. This is the mind-numbing black hole I call a job. And this is me, Wesley Gibson. Like everybody else, I just keep waiting for a lotto ticket out of my boring existence and into a life that means something. I knew your father. My father died the week I was born. Your father died yesterday on the rooftop of the Metropolitan Building. He was one of the greatest assassins who ever lived. Then the other one is behind you. We are a fraternity of assassins, the weapons of fate. The fraternity has trained assassins for thousands of years. You'll be given everything you need. Curve the bullet. To kill your target. I'm the man. Shoot this motherfucker! Wanted. So Wanted uh, came out June 27, 2008, from uh, Russian director Timur Bekmenbetov, um, who I remember around this time was a big deal, because he had come over from Russia after doing, uh, his big thing was the Night Watch and Day Watch movies, which were like kind of cult favorites that are like these sort of like fantasy horror movies about vampires existing in our reality and uh, are a part of like this big long war that's been going on for centuries. I don't know, have you seen those, Adam? Yes, I have actually. Uh, I've seen both of them. They're they're interesting, man. I'll tell you, there's a lot to them. Uh, some of it's kind of silly. They're not great, but I could see why those two movies could get this guy work. Like the visuals in the movies are really interesting and and sort of unique. So I, I totally get why it would lead to sort of mainstream films like he did this and what else did he do did he do like hansel and gretel witch hunters i think no i believe after this um he did uh, abraham lincoln vampire hunter Woof. <laughs> yeah mind. which was yeah kind of a disaster but he's also been a big producer as of recent he's done a lot of like the sort of screen life horror thriller movies like the unfriended movies but also searching amongst other things as oh, uh, he's kind of made a big sort of corner for him uh with that kind of filmmaking but um yeah i had not seen those two the night watch and day watch things until doing prep for the show and the best way i can describe both of those is like they ooze so much of the sensibility of like if you had like either an older cousin or like an older like the brother of a friend or whatever who like ripped movies on like a bootleg region one dvd in the mid 2000s they were like yo this russian movie goes hard you need to watch this and then you watch it and it's like oh this is pretty fun and even though you're seeing it like 480p on a bad <laughs> fucking burn dvd it oozes that kind of cinema but in a really charming way the big thing that uh, watching those and then going back to Wanted um, is just that I think those movies have a much better sense of like their sort of wacky bizarreness where they treat the characters' motivations seriously, but they don't necessarily treat the overall world that seriously. There's a fun style to it, but they never seem to like treat this whole universe with that much like, isn't this fucking cool? Aren't we so cool with ourselves? Like, no, they're just like, they understand what they are as opposed to maybe this movie as we'll get into it does. What? You don't think Wanted is deep? It's very much wanted to be that, Adam. Um, (laughs) James McAvoy totally sounds like an American guy. Oh, God. Well, yeah, let's let's get into Wanted, which um, is based on a graphic novel by Mark Millar and uh, with art by J.G. Jones, which I'm aware that, like, the big sort of hullabaloo around this movie when it came out was a lot of people who had read the comic had said it's very different. I know you're more of a comics person, Adam. Is that accurate that it's, like, 
more like super villain driven as opposed to assassin driven, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very different. I mean, down to even just the, the casting decisions made for this are outrageous to me. Uh, just, I mean, even on that simple of a level, like Fox in the comics is a young black woman and uh, she's completely designed after Halle Berry, 100%. And so the fact, I mean, this is incredible whitewashing that they did. Uh, for this character, I mean, which is a big shocker that exists in Hollywood, whitewashing. Um, <gasps> I know. Hey, sit down. Um, oh, no. And then, uh, but J- even the James McAvoy character uh, was 100% Eminem, the way he looked. Yeah. I've seen the art. Yeah, he looks exactly like Eminem. Yeah, yeah 100%. Which, granted, I'm glad Eminem's not in this film. But still, just something as simple as that, it's just, it, when you change even the look of a character to that extent, like even... It changes the whole attitude of the character, like the James McAvoy character. It just, yeah, you know, no, the comic's better. I, even that being said, I'm not crazy about the comic, but it's better. Yeah, I mean, I haven't read a Mark Millar comic, but there's a lot of similarities to, like, if you've seen any of the other adaptations of his work, like Kick-Ass or Kingsman, there's connecting threads that make uh, some of his protagonists in particular very familiar. <laughs> as I think we'll we'll go into with this one. But yeah, Wanted, if you're unaware, um, basically is this movie about James McAvoy, who plays uh, Wesley Gibson, a guy who works in like a shitty cubicle office and doesn't have like much going for his life. And he feels kind of like, um, you know, separated off from everybody. And like, he doesn't really love what's going on with his life, with like either his work life or his personal life, where his girlfriend keeps fucking his best friend, played by Chris Pratt in a pre-Parks and Rec role. Um, and, uh, yeah, basically he's just kind of wondering like, man, my dad left when I was very young and I don't know, I just have been kind of living a shitty existence and I want to get out of this. And he gets, uh, roped into a big conspiracy element with, uh, this secret society of assassins. Uh, one of which is Fox is played Angelina Jolie approaches him initially says, Hey, your dad was a very famous assassin and you're being hunted because, uh, they, this other famous assassin killed your dad, and look, he's right here in this grocery store where you're picking up your prescription. Oh, we're shooting each other. Pew, 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 pew. A lot of, like, big, uh, over-the-top action sequences with guns. And then he's taken to the big secret society compound uh, where they are led by uh, Mr. Sloan, played by Morgan Freeman. And there are a bunch of other assassins under there. And uh, basically, he's taught in the ways of how to become a great assassin um, and learn the ways of the loom of fate. Um, which we'll get into. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of like big, elaborate, over-the-top action set pieces as he is assigned to murder people and potentially find the man who he believes killed his father in that revenge element. This is very much a movie that like it came out in the big summer of 2008, which we've talked about many times on the show. Big pivotal summer. This is like within a month of like Iron Man uh, had come out previously and The Dark Knight was about to come out, and this was a pretty successful movie, made $342 million on its $75 million budget. Uh, and I remember at that time, I was in high school, and a lot of people I knew in high school were like, oh man, that movie was so fucking dope, and Angelina Jolie's so hot, and it's so great, it's such a great movie. And at the time, I didn't like it that much, I didn't hate it necessarily, but going back to it, um, this feels distinctly of 2008 in many of its worst possible ways. Uh, I think this movie is kind of fucking awful and grating and such an annoying watch to me at this point. It's it's definitely a movie that I didn't like when I was the target audience for it, and I definitely don't like it now. Imagine if somebody who was, like, in 1999, when both The Matrix and Fight Club came out, had told you, like, all his terrible opinions about both those movies, and his worst one was like, man, they should be, like, one movie. That's what this movie feels like. It was made by and for. 
it's just uh it's pretty fucking terrible on every level to me but adam you said you kind of liked it when it came out right i mean like is a strong word uh i didn't hate it i i thought there was some fun bits to it like i said i think morgan freeman's pretty fun in it some of the action beats are pretty cool it's just angelia jolie and james mcavoy have zero chemistry their complete lack of chemistry combined with ridiculousness of the super thin plot that's happening uh it's just it makes for uh, like you said i I don't know that i would go like a grading watch but it's boring and a movie like this shouldn't be boring uh a movie with this these many big action set pieces and car chases and gunfights and you know curving bullets how silly that is and exploding rats and all this stuff like there should this movie should be fun and it's anything but it it just feels so mean-spirited i guess in in every sort of way and james mcavoy's lead is such an unlikable person um i don't know if it's the voiceover work i don't know if it is just the accent i don't know if it's the way he portrays the character uh just i i don't like anybody in this movie yeah he's just not interesting at all as as a protagonist really because like when i mentioned like the fight club element this is so like somebody who watched fight club and thought oh man this is so dope i really relate to the edward norton character as opposed to like no that guy's supposed to be like an asshole that's it's that definitely that kind of cult following around that movie that's made so much of like the appreciation for it seem toxic of just like oh my god i'm this like dude who works in an office and uh, nobody likes me and it's gotta be because they're all dumb like the way that he treats like that woman who's his supervisor and the way that they portray her where it's just like oh she has like some weird superiority complex and is like constantly berating him and shit like that it feels like stuff that is like being put onto a person as opposed to like any kind of conceivable actual reality for this person it feels so much just like man everyone's against me this straight white male in his late 20s to early 30s who just nobody appreciates what i can contribute to society it's like you know what you contribute you fucking just like scream and yell at them all the time about how you're not appreciated that's all you fucking do dude and it's so grating and it's like you mentioned like james mcavoy Clearly, you know, not working that well with, like, around his Scottish accent. So glad that later on people just embrace that he's a fucking Scot. As opposed to him trying to, like, work around it doesn't really work for me. And then, like, with Jolie, I would say out of all the people in this movie, I think she's having the best sort of mix of the tone with, like, what this should be, which is kind of, like, a fun assassin movie. Like, I think particularly early on when she looks at James McAvoy is immediately just like, this fucking idiot. Like, when he's just like, excuse me, can you move out of the way, please? Excuse me. And she's like, what the fuck ever? Get the fuck out of my face, you weirdo. <laughs> like, she's is in the movie that I wish this whole movie was. That's just kind of, like, doesn't feel like it wants to treat itself so seriously. Because McAvoy treats himself so super seriously. To a degree that's just like, dude, I don't give a single fuck about you or your issues with your friend Chris Pratt, who you want to, like, hit with a keyboard and it says, fuck you. Isn't that cool, Adam? Wasn't that cool? Wasn't that funny? Yeah, man. Super funny. (laughs) Yeah. James McAvoy. uh... I'm sorry. Oh my god, James McAvoy from Wanted is in the room. <laughs> yeah, like, he just can't. It's it's so distracting because it's like Weasley and whiny, but it's also really limiting his performance because he is a really good actor. But you can tell he's focused so hard to try to cover up this accent. And which, by the way, too, oh my god, nobody cares about me. Blah blah. I work this dead end job, and yet somehow you can afford that apartment in New York. So fuck you. 
So <laughs> clearly you're getting paid well. And even like your, your girlfriend who you paint is like the worst person in the world, which the movie does want to treat her as. She's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Why don't you feed the cat? It's like, to be fair, feed the cat. You have a cat. Fucking feed, feed it, it, dude. Yeah, feed the cat, bro. <laughs> you asshole. Like, yeah, you're just being, you're a dick at this point. I mean, like I said, I do like some of the aspects. I like the camera gun that splits in half. I think that's kind of a cool idea. I do like the curving the bullet thing, even though it's ridiculous. I don't even mind, like, the healing wax bath. It makes no sense, but okay, whatever. That explains how they can keep going and going. Like, okay, I get it. It's some form of explanation. And I like the different trainers, like the butcher and the one guy who just beats the shit out of him. Like, I think there's some fun side characters here. It's just the main group of characters, like I said, you just don't give a shit. Like, especially McAvoy. You don't give a shit. And, oh, Thomas Crutchman, that big fucking supposed shocker reveal. Like, okay. Like, my trouble, honestly, with this movie and even the action sequences is, like, I could be on board with, like, curving the bullet, which that was the big thing they promoted. It was, like, it's their version of bullet time. It's like, oh, you can curve. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I guess in theory, it's just the best action sequence to me is the first big one we have where um, it involves the one guy who ends up getting shot by, like, the Thomas Crutchman character, and he, like... Uh, is like looking around for him and then like leaps out the window and all the glass and shit is around him. Yeah, totally cool. Right, and that that kind of feels more like it's like the Daywatch or Nightwatch movies where like they're embracing the fact that this is like not that, you know, realistic a world and we can do something like that big and extravagant with the action set pieces. My trouble is after that, it becomes so much more about like very basic things. Like they establish, oh, we're like almost superhuman kind of like assassin characters, which I guess is kind of left over from the, the graphic novel. But they don't want to really commit to making them, like, basically super villains who are assassinating people. So it's just a lot of, like, the curving the bullet, and that gets really repetitive after a while. And even, like, some of the guns, like, you mentioned, like, the camera gun. I'm not necessarily against that in theory. But they treat it as, like, such, oh, this is a cool fucking badass thing with, like, the camera where I can see this thing. And it's like, guys, just this is fucking goofy. Embrace that it's fucking goofy. No, fuck you. It's not goofy. This is super serial and great. <laughs> the I tone makes it like feel, and even I hate the way this movie looks. The weird sapia tone, like yeah. brown colored everything. It looks like ass. It's taking itself way too seriously. And like you said, that opening bit when he jumps to the glass and he's you get like he's gonna make it to the other building. This is fucking insane. Like it's totally cool when he presses off and it leaves a dent. Like this is this is so fucking wacky and wild. Like this is gonna be great. And then it just gets super serious with it every other time they do it. And you don't have that level of sort of fun and excitement anymore because they don't want you to have fun with it. They want you to treat it super serious. And that's this movie's biggest failing. If this movie just lean into the lunacy, it'd be probably pretty awesome. Right. Which is why, like, to have that comparison, like the Mark Millar things, like with Kick-Ass or Kingsman, those are movies that, like, I loved when I was younger. I revisited them. I think they have similar problems in terms of, like, Uh the protagonists aren't too far off from, like, McAvoy's character in this movie. Very similar, like, whiny, young, white male protagonists are just like, man, everybody's, like, kind of against me, but isn't it cool that I'm doing this or whatever? But at the same time, those movies at least have a bit more fun with this premise. Like, we know this is a bit more silly. Like, I think Matthew Vaughn is a much more like, yeah. fun filmmaker who's able to, like, make that stuff at least watchable, if not great, as opposed to Tamur, because he's, like, this Russian filmmaker, 
um, is trying to come over and do like, no, this is my big Hollywood action movie. It doesn't even feel like it has like that kind of fun of like the night watch and day watch movies, which never felt like they were treating themselves too seriously. Like the the stakes of like, oh my god, the world's gonna end or whatever. But he had fun with just like vampire dudes are like transforming into tigers and shit like that. (laughs) Weird stuff's happening. Like that's fun as opposed to this is like so it's like watching fucking brown paint dry. I mean, yeah, I I completely agree. Like I and as a comparison, I'd say out of those three, Kingsman is still probably the most fun one. Yeah. But yeah, the, those movies, at least, well, except for Kick-Ass 2 and all the other Kingsman things. Uh, but those first two, yeah, they there is a sense of whimsy to the whole thing, too. Like, yeah, there's ser- very serious moments and things like that, but it's still allowing you to breathe and have fun with the material. Where this, like I said, it's just, it wants you to be, it feels like it's made in the late 90s, early 2000s, where it's like, look how cool and edgy this is. And oh my God. Where it, it's just, it it's, it sucks. It just sucks. You know, it's just, it's not fun at all. And I mean, I think, again, that's the major problem with it. They just want to sort of just shove in your face how fucking cool it is and look at the effects work we can do. To the point where they, who's the leader of our secret society? Oh, Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Everyone who treats with like, nope, he's super serious, Academy Award winner Morgan Freeman. And we have to have him explain bullshit like, I know the Luma Fate wasn't in the fucking comic, right? No. And that is like the dumbest thing that they treat a hundred percent seriously. It's just like it's a code yep. and you gotta put like zeros and ones and then that gets us who are fucking person. It's just like you couldn't just have a machine that plopped out a bullet that had a name on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's so much simpler than a fucking I mean, room of fate. So much simpler. So <laughs> much fucking simpler. And you know, also you could age the Julie's butt. Ugh. Oh great. Yeah, okay. This is for all the guys watching. Just stop. I joked about this at the intro. It's Harry Potter, but with, like, guns. That's yeah, what yeah. this whole fucking dumb thing is. It's just it's that chosen one, the hero that has to, like, do all this shit. And I kind of wish that we leaned more into, like, the subversive element of, like, you you mentioned it, but the whole um, reveal of, like, oh, wait, the guy who's trying to kill you isn't trying to kill you. He's trying to protect you because he is actually your father. Your father wasn't assassinated, and you're actually going to assassinate him. There's some kind of potential to, like, that idea of, like, oh, everything's been upended, and your whole idea of, like, what this world was could be, like, completely shattered, and you have to, like, kind of deal with that. But then it's just like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Now I gotta be the most badass assassin and kill everybody and go through. And I hate that whole fucking, like, assault with, like, the the fucking, the rats and all that bullshit. It looks so ugly. And every, like, action beat, it's, like, it's not poorly done, but at the same time, it feels, like, so lackluster with, like, how McAvoy's just like, I learned all these skills and I'm killing everybody. It's like, did you learn anything? Get the curve bullets? Because that's all you're fucking doing. You're just curving bullets. That's all he fucking does. It's one trick is to curve these fucking bullets. And it's, it so gets repetitive and dull. And it's just like so dumb. Even Oswald had, in real life did more than this character. <laughs> he he might have curved the bullet too. You don't know. Maybe that's what happened. Um <laughs> Look, this movie has too many conspiracy theory things to it. I don't want to add more. Why not? Why not? I'll add a lot of lists of reasons why I don't want to do that on a podcast. What? It's never <laughs> failed before. Um, <laughs> That's true. This uh, this is now that part of the Joe Rogan network. Yeah, yeah. It's just it, it's like I said. It's trying so hard to be so fucking cool and edgy, and look how good everybody looks. And oh man, this action! It isn't it great? And none of it looks great. The action doesn't look great. The people don't look great. None of it looks good. The best part of this movie is the fucking theme by Danny Elfman. Yeah, that's true. That's kind of slaps, actually. It, it's, it's a pretty fun like score. This is like around the time where he was stopping giving a shit, because it's like this, 
and the milk score come out this year. And it's like, oh man, Danny's kind of back. And like, that that's not going to happen for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing another good score. I think the best part of this movie is when you kind of reference at the end of our last episode. It's like the only sort of memeable thing about this movie is at one point near the end, Morgan Freeman tries to convince all his followers yeah. to keep going with him. And it involves Morgan Freeman literally saying, well, shoot this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, it's so good, dude. Yeah! <laughs> like, I would do it. Like, yeah, Honestly, like, I love that, and even, like, the very end, even though I hate the contrivance of, like, oh, James McAvoy's gonna, like, have the assassin twist uh-huh. on Morgan Freeman, I do love his, like, almost Looney Tunes-style delivery, just like, oh, fuck. And <laughs> that gets leather killed. outfit. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, I agree. It's just, it's just, and then when it goes back and through in reverse and it shows where he is. Once again, like that, that imagery happens a lot in this movie and it feels very much like trying to recapture like that fight club, like slow uh-huh. motion CG photography. Terrence Stamp makes fancy bullets. Oh, that's right. <laughs> a very thankless Terrence Stamp role. Just like, wait, I can help you. Don't do anything. I knew your father. <laughs> oh, course you did because you gotta have that character right right yeah and and even like the that ending you're talking about where it leads up to james mcboy doing a whole monologue about just like oh my god everyone turned against me and i'm all this thing what the fuck have you done lately like that just feeds into once again this whole perspective of this dude is just like makes this whole story feel even more dumb than it already is because instead of having somebody who kind of gets roped into this and you feel sympathetic for him because he maybe has like some kind of like lesser life that he's living, but he's so antagonistic to the audience the whole time. It has it's this like fourteen year old boy bullshit like middle finger like you don't understand. Fuck off! I'm cool. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah, for sure. I'm gonna go get some of them three D Doritos and a joke cola. <laughs> Eat my butt. <laughs> That's that's this movie all over for sure. Hey, it, do me a favor, babe. Give me my Billabong hoodie. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Sorry, she's too busy fucking Chris Pratt. Yeah, no, that's cute. My buddy Chris Pratt. I'm gonna go get, play Goldeneye and smoke weed out of a pop can. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just yeah, he's constantly talking shit to the people who are watching the movie, which you know, it, it's not like that hasn't been done before. Uh, it, it, that sort of technique, sure. But when it's this whiny fucking guy with a whole movie just whines and cries, whines and cries, whines and cries, and then sort of ostracizes the audience at the end because now look how bad I am. Like, fuck you. Like, just fuck you. Shut the fuck up. Like, why didn't you get that bullet in the head? I wish Morgan Freeman, like, they would have taken his advice. Shoot this motherfucker. Do it. Yeah. Fuck this guy. Yeah, fuck him. I don't know, but then we had to have Angelina Jolie do her great sacrifice with the curved bullet that says goodbye on it. Didn't you uh, feel so bad yeah, when that yeah, happened? I, I cared so much. Yeah, and I remember, like, they tried to make a sequel to this for so long. I know, and there's even talks of them still trying to maybe do a television version now or something, like an episodic version. I guess, like, I mean, if you want to, like, maybe readapt it to, like, be close to the comic, sure. But they were, like, so hamstrung, especially on, like, we have to get Angelina Jolie back, even though it's just like, I, you pretty definitively fucking killed her in this movie. I don't know how you could ever really, unless she goes in that fucking wax bath, which, for the record, anytime everyone gets out of this bath after they've been rejuvenated, it's just like they're covered in, like, glazed donut glaze. Hell yeah. That, well, that's what it is. It's Krispy Kreme. It's Krispy Kreme. Yeah. Right. Feels all like James McAvoy woken up just like, oh my god, all this stuff's on me. Oh, a donut? Ooh, oh, it's so good. It's still warm. <laughs> it was under my butt, that's probably why. 
<laughs> I am not sorry about this. <laughs> For sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, you know what? Uh, we have a whole other movie to talk about in a bit more mm-hmm. glowing respect. So let's just do our final thoughts. Your final thoughts, Adam, on Wanted. Everybody needs a dick. Everybody needs a whiny asshole. Uh, it's just, it's such a contrived sort of plot uh, that is totally telegraphed. Like, you can just, it's easily read and figured out before it even comes to the supposed twist. Uh, I would rather follow Thomas Kretschmann's character than anybody else in this. And Thomas Kretschmann, uh, you know, doesn't do anything in this movie. But still, at least he's more interesting as a, like, assassin who was double-crossed. Now he's on the run, trying to protect his family. But he has to stay hidden still for his, his family's well-being. Like, even that, which is a story that's been done a thousand times, would still be more interesting than this one. Maybe, but what if Adam, the whole time he was sitting like, Nobody understands me. I have to protect my son. I can't. Can't go out. <laughs> oh, I wish. I wish you just you have to keep going out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and after this horrible CG fucking train crash that happens in the middle of this fucking movie as well. But yeah, um, I like I said, I remember not liking it at the time, and now it's aged uh, like a fine milk, as yeah, it were. Yeah. Uh, because it like the action looks terrible. The most of the characters like they're not likable, but also not interesting. Even like some of these side people you mentioned, they just kind of introduce them. like, "I'm the butcher. Knives can be used in battle." And I think they use a knife like once, maybe, at a certain point. <laughs> like I they're mean, so yeah, superfluous, yeah. and they like they they don't really add much of anything. This feels like it's just so many of the cliches of like somebody who liked the Matrix and Fight Club for all the wrong reasons, just put into one murky bad very dull action movie that just never really makes its like big over the top like nihilism really mean anything to any degree or or even make it entertaining to any degree it's just uh, it's a big waste of fucking talent and time that um you know it was bad at the time it's even worse now so you like it great movie no notes um but let's get to an actual great movie i don't have many notes about with i saw the devil So I Saw the Devil um, is a South Korean film uh, that uh, came out um, in South Korea on August 12th, 2010, but in the States on March 4th, 2011. Playful romp, I would say. You know, uh, fun for the whole family, bringing the kids. Yeah, 100%. Yep, yep. Yes. Um, And uh, it is actually a very violent, gory revenge film that if you're unaware, um, basically uh, we follow uh, these two characters. Uh, First, uh, there's Kim, uh, as played by... Lee Byung-hun and apologize, you know, as we do any time we cover a foreign film, I might fuck up the pronunciation of some of these names, but he is an NSI agent um, who is out on a mission while his fiance is out traveling. And very early in the movie, we see her like on the road and she has to pull over, just waiting for the tow truck to come. When uh, she encounters a stranger, Jiang, played by uh, Choi Min-sik, uh, who is like, hey, you know what, I can help you out. It's like, no, that's fine, I'm just going to wait for... Uh, the tow truck to come and uh, that guy proceeds to destroy her car and drag her out of it literally and bring her back home because as it turns out uh, Zhang um, is a serial killer um, who has been murdering women for several years and he ends up murdering um, Kim's fiance and they find her severed head and parts of her body later on and uh, that 
proceeds to get Kim on this big revenge mission to uh, destroy him at any cost. And uh, it's very hyper-violent, uh, and it's from director uh, Kim Ji-Woon, um, who was a pretty fun South Korean filmmaker who has made movies I would describe as more fun, like The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. Very enjoyable kind of take on the Western genre. He did make the American movie The Last Stand, the Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle, which I would say of the modern Schwarzenegger movies, post like his governorship, is one of the more fun ones. Yeah, I can agree with that. But uh, this movie is not very fun. It wallows in a lot of horrible violence and misery and pain and, um, you know, a natural pick for a good revenge pick because uh, it makes you really do that question we talked about of why. What was the purpose of this revenge? And Adam, this is your uh, good pick, so um, yeah. tell us all about the feel-good movie of the 2010s. I mean, this movie is fucking brutal, dude. It, it, it's one of those movies, like, I saw one, eh, probably not when it first came out, but once it started getting uh, notoriety. And then uh, I'd only seen it that one time, now obviously, again, for this show. And it's one of those that I, it's so good, but I don't think I, I, I'll watch this one again. Uh, it is so brutal and just sad and terrifying. It goes to a lot of weird places, man, like the cannibalism place with the, the other serial killer couple and the fucking Achilles tendon bit. And just, I mean, there's some so much crazy gore and just violence in this movie. And yet, at its heart, it's just about a guy who's lost everything, who doesn't know what else to do but just take out his revenge on this guy because of what he did to him. And the, even the way the movie ends with him sort of walking away and just bawling and finally feeling that release, it's heartbreaking, but it's so good. And that's the one thing I can say about this movie, too. Our two leads act the fuck out of this movie. They're both excellent. And uh, it's just, yeah, this is one of those movies to me where it works on almost every level, but I don't, it's so fucking dark. That's one that I, I don't know how often I revisit. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the similar boat where I saw it around the time it was popular. Um, kind of like getting that cult appreciation. Like, oh my, I saw the devil. It's pretty great. Yeah, see, I saw the devil. And I remember at the time, even, I was like, wow, this is fucking brutal. And I don't know if I want to watch it again. And I haven't until now for this particular show. And it's definitely one of those where I love this movie. I think it's a phenomenal movie that really deconstructs the idea of revenge and what that means. Uh, but it's, it's definitely one of those where I'll probably watch it again, but I'll take probably another 10-year break. <laughs> Like, I'll, I'll wait until uh, 2030 or so to revisit this, basically. Because it takes a lot out of you, despite the fact that there's a lot of, like, really well-constructed set pieces. There's some, like, phenomenal action bits in this movie. It has, like, so much of, like, those kind of thrills of, like, an action movie or a horror movie. But also, it has this, like, cloud over it. Just about, like, yeah, this is all, like, very, like, well done. And it's kind of, like, brutal. And it's entertaining to some degree to watch. But then when you remember, like, oh, wait, yeah, people have just died, and it's, like, fucking brutal, and has no mercy whatsoever for, like, your <laughs> sensibilities. It's just, like, it's uh, it's really bleak in a way that still is, like, it's bleak with good reason. I suppose to say, like, a wanted, which was bleak, but in a way that's like, we're fucking cool. This movie's not like that. Like, no, this isn't fucking cool, dude. Oh, yeah, there's cool not. bits to this, but uh, there's not a lot of fun to be had, and the movie knows very well about that. <laughs> Yeah, they're not showing this to you like, like a fucking slick everything. There's nothing slick about this movie as far as its setting or what's happening in it. I mean, the violence is so fucking brutal. Like I, I alluded to, you know, at the top of the show, the, that, the pipe wrench to that one dude's balls is, it, I mean, it's so fucking brutal. 
and that's the one thing about this movie and, and other movies, you know, from sort of South Korea, the, the, which I find really kind of do it the best. Uh, it's not done to be artistic. It's not, it's just brutal in your face violence, like old boy. And, and, and you know, any of those, the, 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 the trilogy, the vengeance trilogy. You mean, yeah. Yeah. The vengeance from trilogy. the director. Yeah. It's right. so brutally violent and it's so just matter of factly done in your face. It doesn't, make it sexy or exciting or anything like that it's just look what these what this bodily harm is being done to these people and here it is on all of its horrific brutality here you go you're gonna watch it i think the movie does kind of play with some of those elements like there's the face-off scene that takes place in like that sort of greenhouse area between our two leads that the setup of it almost feels like it's like a Western showdown where they're like looking down at each other and there's a bit of like that, oh, yes, this look kind of fucking cool, right? Isn't that kind of interesting? But then the violence happens and it's like, oh, no, this isn't cool. This is bad. Why are we seeing this? Oh, good God, no. Oh, ooh, <laughs> Jesus, no. Like, it's a movie that I think knows that you could, in theory, treat this. Like, there's a version of this movie that totally glorifies the violence and revenge and is like a more like sort of traditionally enjoyable movie. But this is a movie that, like, knows that that can be enjoyable, but realizes, like, even no matter what temptation you have to enjoy this, uh, you can't. Because it's fucking upsetting. The only time where it really gets, like, okay, what are we doing here for me, is when it gets to the the sort of couple. The um, this cannibal serial killer couple. That's the only time where I'm like, this is kind of silly. But it's still, it's so gross and brutal and, and just... You know, uh, oh god, and also what happens to the male when once our hero catches up to him in fucking the hospital is yes. so fucking brutal and violent. But it, like I said, that's the only part for me where it goes almost into like fantasy land because uh, the rest of it is just so brutal and realistic and down to earth. But then there's just like it almost they allude to where it's this group probably of serial killers and they're all like minded people and it just feels like it comes out of nowhere. Well, I think that element also kind of works in a similar way to like what I'm talking about with like the sort of action setups that could eventually go to violence. Like it almost feels like it's a commentary on like even like the sort of horror movies where it's like, oh, we have like these people that like eat people and stuff. It almost feels like it's a commentary on like a Hannibal Lecter type where it's like in those other movies, like Hannibal Lecter is treated as like this intellectual who eats and it's like kind of this twist on like, oh, he's so intellectual, but he eats at the same time. There's such a fascinating dual identity of this character versus this guy's a fucking schlub. Like, he's, like, this dude who, like, overeats on human flesh. And it's just like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm doing this to have, like, some fucking fun. You're fucking things up by even being here, man. Like, we live this solitude life, and we're, like, having our fucking, you know, cool thing here, and you're just fucking things up. And, like, he's treated as, like, this oafish asshole who does horrible fucking things. Like, I think it's a movie that really wants to deconstruct a lot of the, like, kind of romanticism of serial killers and, like, what we have ultimately kind of built them up to be versus what they actually are, which is oftentimes just, like, totally antisocial asshole people. Like, even, I love the fact that anytime you might see some kind of humanity to the um, Jean character, the actual main serial killer, he is, like, a whiny asshole in a way that, like, you know, unlike Wanted, they totally frame him as, like, this guy's a dick. Like, anytime you, like, encounter people who are just, like, oh, you fucking elders, you think that you're supposed to be appreciated, well, fuck you. You're treating me like a piece of shit. You can go fuck yourself. Like, that guy is trying to kind of help you, and you're being a dick to him. <laughs> like, you're ruining any of your chances of being in fucking help because you're such an immature, monstrous person that you don't even have basic empathy for anybody. But yeah, I think the movie very much knows that, you know, these serial killer types, like, that would be treated like charming 
folks with intelligence or whatever, like th- these guys are assholes and they constantly show off the fact that like they are like immature, monstrous boys that are pretending to be men and they think being a man means horribly murdering people and getting away with it. I mean, yeah, that, that's definitely true. Uh, especially our, our sort of main serial killer. He's a whiny, whiny punk. Like he's like, he's a horrible, horrible human being, but I love that, you know, why are you, you know, like, why are you doing this? What the fuck? You're a crazy man. And like, well, you're the, the absolute psychopath. Like the one that right. I can specifically think of is like after he gets his Achilles tiny wake up, he wakes up in the car and he's basically, which granted I probably would be too. Most people would, but he's basically crying like a little child. And when he's coming out of the car and stuff, it's just, he's a horrible, horrible man child. And I, I guess, yeah, the other, the other two would be too. But I mean, it's a real testament to like Choi Min Seek, the like who most people know. You, you spoke about Old Boy earlier. He is the main character of Old Boy, mm-hmm. and he's such a phenomenal actor, and especially being able to portray so much of this with a conviction that makes him seem like, oh no, I know exactly that I'm the only victim in this scenario. Like my parents are assholes. I don't give a shit about the kid that I abandoned. Um, but also anybody who like tries to cross me is totally against me. I am the only victim in the situation in a way that's like unsettling, but also is like really fascinating to watch him just like work his mind through, particularly when he's like in that hospital and he's just like being so oafishly monstrous to everyone around him who's trying to help him to some degree. Just like, nope, I want to take advantage of the situation and I want to be the most monstrous person possible. He's antisocial in a way that feels realistic but also like it's heightened to this degree in this movie that makes it unsettling to watch he's so enigmatic and even to the point to you know at the end when he's got him sort of chained up or whatever just the look in his eyes it's almost chilling because it's like this guy doesn't give a fuck dude until that final moment when obviously who shows up shows up by contrast with the the kim character who we should mention lee byung hung most of you would probably know is he was storm shadow in the american uh, gi joe movies mm-hmm. among several other things he's probably like in terminator genesis all some other stuff but he has this like great thing where like he looks like like a matinee idol he's like so handsome and immediately the moment you see him like initially you're like oh, okay this guy's gonna be our hero clearly and he's gonna work so well but like, as you see him completely degree himself and get to, like, the level of the guy he's chasing, it's genuinely believable. Like, oh, my God, this guy who had it all and, like, got it taken away from him has completely lost any kind of humanity and empathy at the same time himself. Like, the way that even when he goes over to, like, the parents and the kid of the the main serial killer character, he has less, like, empathy for these people and more just like, God damn it, this is, like, a dead end and it's not going to help me out. Like, he's becoming less and less empathetic as a person until, like, that ending moment happens where he just realizes, like, I've just gone down such a dark, terrible path that has, like, completely destroyed me as a human person. Like, I don't think this dude's going to have much of a fun life after this point. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be a lot of fun times after this. Uh, I don't know, man. He seems like it's uh, probably going to go see a show after this. It'd be really funny if he, like, skipped his way down that road, like, ah. Yeah, yeah 100%. <laughs> Claps his two heels together in the air, like, woohoo! Stops and starts playing jacks. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, no, his life is over, dude. His life is destroyed. It's ruined. For good reason. It, it's, he became the, the monster he was trying to sort of, you know, kill. It's, and I mean, obviously, he did kill him, but it just... These extremes that he went to, they got all, you know, people he cared about killed and people 
which again brutal the dumbbell scene oh jesus yes but then he got all these other people killed and all this stuff and but it's over it's finally over so what does that mean for him? I mean, yeah, it's just, it's such a great moment. A big shout out to, like, to contrast with Wanted as well. I love the way this movie looks. Oh, it's Like, beautiful. this could be, in theory, like, this could look like some Saw bullshit, where it's, like, very green overlay and, like, all disgusting. But even, despite how many horrible things happen in, like, that lair our main serial killer character is in, it's, like, so weirdly vibrant with different colors. Like, even, like, the filth is, like, presented in, like, this weird kind of, like, um, almost like the way that, you know, oil when it mixes with water has like that weird kind of like multicolor effect. It looks like that. It looks like a dingy place that's like has color to it, but in a way that's like haunted in a way that feels like this is like a place I shouldn't be, but not in the way of like, oh, it's like, dingy in like a seven saw-esque way. It's like, no, this is a place that has vibrancy and color to it, but it's all tainted. It's all ugly and disgusting, which is even the way that, like, he shoots, like, some of these victims' bodies. Like, the way, like, the main, the fiancé character, how she's horribly mutilated. Like, they emphasize, and like, oh, look, here are the body parts that are here. But it, it's treated at the same time, like, there's a color and vibrancy even to, like, the those body parts. But it's all, like, it's decayed. It's disgusting. It's so, it's vibrant, but in a way that's, like, haunted. Like I was, I was alluding to earlier, the, the gore, the violence and everything, it, it's done so matter-of-factly. But it's handled with the utmost sort of care and also respect of what they're showing you and what they're putting you through. It's never not chilling. I can say that for sure. And the fact of the matter is once the, you know, she even reveals that she was pregnant and mm-hmm. sort of the way he looks at her. And it's almost like he gets even more pleasure out of that fact. Because, yeah. uh, you know, he definitely gets pleasure out of telling him. What a horrible, horrific scene. I mean... Cuts her limbs off, cuts her head. It just, it's awful. Awful. And spread sunshine all over the place. (laughs) It really just gets you down in like such a depressing. I think that's the thing is like, there are so many movies like this where I really love the filmmaking. I love the way that it's put together, but also I could just never really recommend to people even like it's, it's such a weird movie to recommend to somebody. Where you're just like, look, this movie's fucking great, but asterisk, um, it is brutal, it's violence going to take you to very dark places in humanity, um, but I won't say that I don't think you at least respect what it's doing. Like, there are so, so many movies like that, where it definitely gets put on that list with, like, Requiem for a Dream, and, like, some others where it's just like, this is a very well-made movie, but I don't know if I can, in good conscience, recommend it to somebody without a massive list of caveats. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I put I put this like regular regime, the road, things like that. Like it's really fucking good, man. But uh, <laughs> what what are your triggers? Because there's a good chance right. there might this be is definitely that one that deserves there. an actual trigger warning. Yeah, people. a thousand percent. Like I said, this is not one that I'm necessarily going to visit again anytime soon. I mean, maybe even if ever. Um, but it's one that I like. Yeah. In that same conversation where you talk about, you know, oh, the movies that, you know, I could never watch again or whatever, this one's at the tippy top for a couple of reasons. One is because of its graphic material and everything, but also how well it's done and how good of a movie it actually truly is. Like, I don't know if Wrecking for Gene would even hold up nowadays. I have no idea. I haven't gone back to it. Mm-hmm. But like this, The Road, things like that, they're just so expertly done and, and they're so, so good. It's basically almost a masterpiece of this type of filmmaking and this type of storytelling it, it is you want to talk about a revenge movie well here you fucking go 
in several different ways. Not only is it the sort of agent getting revenge on the serial killer, but then it's also a serial killer going to try to get revenge on the agent. And it's just this really brutal cat and mouse. Yeah, the, the, weird, the cycles of revenge that just end up destroying rather than actually giving either of them fulfillment to any degree. And I think, like, that really can only come from, like, South Korea because this is one of those movies that, like, it was rumored they were going to do an American remake for a while with, like, Adam Wingard and his screenwriting partner Simon Barrett were going to do it for a while. And um, they said that ultimately they didn't do it because, like, they wanted to stay true to the gory sensibilities of the movie, but the American studios shockingly wanted to make it PG-13, so they're like, no, let's probably not do that, and it kind of, like, died and hasn't happened yet. And I'm really glad, just because, like, if you're going to do a revenge movie that's anywhere close to this, like, the only way you can somewhat justify it is to show you the true brutality of what's going on. You can have some, like, you know, enjoyable sort of, like, filmmaking stuff, like, with some of the action means, like, I love that car chase that happens with, like, where he picks him up, like, in the middle of, like, him attempting to, like, give himself over to the police. Like, it's so well shot. Or even, like, the big finale with tension that's there is, like, so palpable and brutal with, like, the guillotine and all that stuff. But at the same time, like, if you're gonna do a revenge movie like this, like, you have to really emphasize it. Like, this is brutal. This is harsh. This takes so much out of you. And, like, so many of these revenge movies, like we talked about, have it, like, but at what cost kind of thing and sometimes it feels like it's like a last minute thing just to justify being brutal and embracing the fun of it Mm. as opposed to this movie is like no this is the natural way this is going this has been throughout the whole like two hours and 25 minutes of this movie it is fully in that mode of like this has like there's some skillless filmmaking but it's all in the really just show off the true brutality and how little that really ultimately advances like whatever pain you're feeling element of it because you ignore people like the way that his fiance's sister and father how he just totally ignores them and they're pleased like please come back we just want you to like we're grieving but we want you to like be a part of our family still we love you as a person don't go down like whatever path you're thinking of going down and that costs him everything i mean absolutely everything yeah they are very much don't go down that road um <laughs> look i would definitely do it if it was fucking fred Gwynn telling me I, yeah, i'd trust fred Gwynn to do anything yeah he he loses absolutely everything because of his sort of obsession with revenge and i mean but that's one thing too i, I do want to talk about just the the uniqueness of the idea itself too where he so he hunts down this guy finally finds him beats the living shit out of him breaks his arm just fucks him up and then implants a tracker on him so he can just follow him around and when he's about to do something bad, just show up again and beat the fuck out of him again. And just torture and maim and wound this guy. And, you know, in a way, you get it. You're like, yeah, it makes sense. You can with your fucking love of your life and all this stuff. But at the same time, it's like, it's so brutal and animalistic and savage where it's just so unique, though, too, to the genre. I mean, I've never seen before or since that something like that happen. And it's just so well done. Yeah, it feels even like a movie where, once again, it takes that kind of like the genre setups and it's just like, yeah, isn't that satisfying in the moment? But then really lingers with that. Just like, no, it really isn't satisfying because uh, the repercussions come back and it really hurts you and everybody else. And that's something, like I said, I don't think an American film would really be willing to do. No. I don't think any American film would like really be willing to like ask those questions and really answer them in the most brutal, frank way possible. Just be like, well, no, we got his revenge and everything's sunny side up. It's all right. good. All good Don't now. <laughs> yeah, I agree. 
Um, yeah, and it makes me really want, because I think this is the first South Korean movie we've ever covered for the show. Uh, I believe that's true, yeah. I believe that's the case. Yeah. Because we, I don't think we've ever really covered another South Korean movie. And I really, like, because they make some of the most amazing, like, cinema Absolutely. out there. That's so stellar. And definitely is, like, one of those things that, if you have that barometer about, like, oh, I want to read subtitles, uh, South Korean films will immediately break you of that. Because it's like, no, I want to read the subtitles and watch these great fucking movies. Which, by the way, too, you have to watch it with the subtitles. There is an English dub out there, and it's terrible. I've heard it's very bad. I watched it with the subtitles for sure when I watched it. But I've heard that dub is uh, pretty bad. Um, pretty bad. But let's go ahead and do our uh, our final thoughts here on I Saw the Devil. Adam. Uh, like I said, it's absolutely brutal. It's so graphic and gory and just at the same time thrilling and exciting. And also just it, it makes you question sort of like if you were in this position, what would you do? And, you know, things like that. And it's just... But it's the acting. I cannot say enough, and I can't even overstate it either if I tried, how good our two leads are, uh, both when they're on screen together and when they're not. I mean, it's just, it works so well in every, every level. It's just great. Yeah, I pretty much second all of that. Um, and I'll just emphasize, uh, not a fun movie, but a really crucial one. If, like, if you can you know really stomach a lot of, like, horrible stuff like we even mentioned like the sexual assault stuff that happens with that one nurse yeah, character that's yeah. really upsetting like it, it goes down some dark roads but i think with good reason because this is definitely a movie that like it goes down these horrible paths and so many times when people do that when filmmakers do that it's very exploitative and shitty as opposed to uh this is a movie that knows the weight of all those horrible things that are happening it's just like look we're gonna we're gonna emphasize like this is terrible and you're gonna like really live in this horrific place with this but we have a reasoning for it and it's a wonderfully realized reasoning and it's really phenomenally put together by the filmmakers and the cast and everybody but yeah not a movie um i want to pop on when i'm in a bad mood it's just like hmm, i'm feeling bad about the world let's put on i saw the devil let's enjoy a bit of that no not a pick me up movie for sure but it, a very enjoyable movie to at least see once i agree especially if you're a genre fan but um let's go ahead and go into our weekly segment adam the Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double 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 Redo. So every week on The Double Redo, Adam and I, uh, you know, talk about a good and a bad movie related to the topic that we're covering for the particular episode, just to, you know, direct you toward a good one to see and uh, away from a bad one not to bother with. And uh, I'm going first here uh, with revenge films uh, for to recommend and stuff. And uh, I'll go ahead and start with uh, my good pick, which is another movie that I think is kind of deconstructing what a revenge movie is, but with an, a lot more of like a quiet contemplative level i have blue ruin uh which is uh directed by uh, jeremy saulnier uh who also did stuff like green room i think a tremendous uh director in his own right but uh basically this is a movie uh that follows um one of uh, his frequent collaborators makeham blair who's also a producer on this film um and basically he plays this guy named dwight who um, has been a vagrant for most of his life. He's been walking around uh, because he's never quite gotten over the murder of his parents that happened when he was young. And um, he's just kind of like been wandering and has lost contact with like his sister and various other people in his life. 
uh, but hears about the release of the person who was convicted of his parents' murder. And this isn't a spoiler, really, because this happens in the first, like, 15, 20 minutes of this movie. Uh, he brutally kills that guy in a really awkward fashion because he's, you know, a vagrant who has no training or whatever. So, any t- like, anytime he tries to take violent revenge, it's, like, a really awkward, horrific process that he, like, is so slow and uncomfortable to watch. But he finds out that guy didn't actually kill his parents. And so he's on the journey to find out who actually did do that. And I think this is a tremendous, quiet, contemplative movie. And uh, the same way as, like, A Green Room or Hold the Dark, uh, which is another movie that Jeremy Saulnier made. And um, it's a really fascinating story about the idea of, like, you know, that kind of revenge plot where it's just like, oh, somebody wronged me in the past, I have to take my vengeance. But, like, in actual reality, if you were to do that, it would be such a, like, stumbling, awkward process that would not really, like, work out for you in the long run. It's a movie that kind of covers the similar repercussions of Eyes of the Devil, but without any of the remote gloss that's there in some of those movies. It's brutal, but in a way that's also, like, so, like, kind of awkward, almost verges on the idea of, like, like a kind of awkward, dark comedy, but it's so much more about, like, no, dude, uh, if you're gonna seek your vengeance, uh, it's not gonna be a happy time for you. It's not gonna, you're gonna really alienate people around you as well, but without even the gloss of, like, yeah, I'm a badass taking my revenge. No, there's nothing badass about this guy. He's sad, he's like completely lonely and shut off from people it's it's a great sort of character focused story about like what a revenge tale actually takes on people um but then my bad one is more of like a traditional like slasher horror movie version of this where i have the original prom night which i remember had like kind of this acclaim around it to some degree like i remember this was one of the ones that's often cited like post halloween like all the big ones because jamie lee curtis is in it and uh, this one is basically, it's a revenge tale from the perspective of the serial killer, because it's about, like, a kid who got bullied, and, like, several years later, he's trying to seek revenge on modern kids who are at the high school going to prom. And the only notable things, really, about this movie are that it came out right after Halloween, so Jamie Lee Curtis is in it, and also Lizzie Nielsen plays the principal. Uh, but otherwise, it is a very traditional slasher that is, isn't even, like, that well put together. It's a very, like, low-budget Canadian movie that just kind of shows that, like, oh, yeah, a lot of those movies that came in the wake of Halloween were done very cheaply and very quickly put together, and not all of them are fun. Not all of them are, like, an interesting or engaging to any degree. Um, it's, like, a very typical, dull, early 80s slasher that uh, I think is highly overrated and didn't even deserve to have, like, its remakes or whatever. However, it does have some fun sequels that aren't really related to a particular Prom Night 2, Hello, Mary Lou, is a very fun, supernatural slasher. But the original Prom Night... Not very fun. Not very good. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, as far as prom night goes, I completely agree. Uh, I remember being one of those who would like, uh, you know, it was considered quintessential watching. You had to see it if you were in the horror fan, and or especially slasher genre and things like that. So I s- sought it out pretty early, and even then, remember thinking, "Well, this is isn't very good at all." And then I watched it again, uh, probably right around when the remake uh, came out, and uh, still is good. Like, maybe one or two cool kill scenes, uh, and that's about it. It, it, it just doesn't work. Um, and as far as Blue Ruin goes, I haven't seen that one. Uh, I've heard good things about it, uh, obviously, from you just now, and also, uh, you know, other people who have seen it. It's just, it sounds like it's super heavy. It's one of those, I, I, I feel like I gotta have be ready to have my night sort of tainted, if not ruined. So I just, A Blue I, Ruined, if you will? Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. So I haven't gone to that one yet, but I, I definitely want to see it. Well, Adam, what are your choices? 
Uh, my two choices. I'll start with the bad. Uh, my f- bad choice is a movie called The Assignment. Uh, it's made by the guy who did The Warriors and, and things like that. It stars Michelle Rodriguez, Sigourney Weaver. And the basic plot is Michelle Rodriguez starts off the movie as playing a male character. He's a hitman. And he kills the wrong person. Scorning Weaver plays a doctor who then drugs him and performs a sex change on him. And so now it's Michelle Rodriguez. And it's sort of the story of her coming to terms with, you know, her new identity, but also seeking revenge on the doctor and blah, 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 blah. And it's just so piss poorly handled in every way. Um, from the way it shot to the action bits like do you remember how you and i spoke and you did not like the director's cut version of the warriors with all the animated stuff and and, and all that right uh well you wouldn't like this movie either because it's got that in it and uh it's it's just really bad you talk want to talk again about narration over a movie and this is some of the worst i've ever heard it's just lousy and especially for the stories trying to tell it it it, it's just it's very insensitive let's put it that way uh, and then for my good, uh, another movie uh, that you and I have talked about, uh, not on the show. Uh, it's one that you saw that was one of your favorites of the year. It came out. I finally got to see it. And I absolutely loved it and still do. I think the performances in it are amazing. And it's funny but brutally sad and depressing at the same time. I have Promising Young Woman. Uh, would fall sort of into the rape revenge uh, sort of subgenre just with sort of why she's trying to hurt these people um but you don't see any of that like it doesn't show you any of it uh which is fine you just hear an audio clip of it and you basically don't even hear what's going on except for guys laughing and talking uh but the ultimate like reveal of what happens with her love interest is so heartbreaking when it happens uh for her really dark bleak comedy um it's just it's so well done what a great great movie that is uh, criminally underseen. Yeah, um, I have not seen the assignment. Um, it's a bummer because I, I love Walter Hill. Yeah, and that's one of those where like I, I want to see more of his movies, but that's definitely one of the more recent ones where it's like, oh, that premise doesn't sound great. Um, even at the time it came out, it probably it was insensitive and has probably aged like a fine milk once again <laughs> in that regard. So um, I don't know if I'll um, unless I'm really completionist about it. Um, I don't think I'll be pursuing that and then promising young woman is definitely one of those where it got a lot of hype because it was nominated for a bunch of oscars and won best original screenplay uh, for emerald Fennell, who also directed it and that's such a fascinating movie where i really loved it when i first watched it and i still i think that movie's pretty great but at the same time it had such a fascinating reception that was all over the map that was definitely one of those movies where especially from people who were victims of sexual assault like i heard some people who loved it some who loathed it it's a fascinating sort of Rorschach test of a movie that I would be curious something else to hear like various people's opinions on because it's it's one of those where like it, it really affects people in various different ways. Uh, Carrie Mulligan as the lead, like regardless of what you might think of that movie, she's so stellar at just at the turn of that movie. But a bunch of other great people in like Bo Burnham, Laverne Cox, um, Clancy Brown, uh, also. Um, it's just like there's a there's a lot of like great people in the movie doing really great work. And I think it's a movie that definitely questions a lot of what its protagonist is doing, while at the same time embracing the fact that there's a lot of tragedy you can empathize with that character about. It's a tough balancing act that movie's trying to pull off. And for some people it works, some people it doesn't. But I think that's that's what is the mark of at least a very interesting movie, is like one that has like so many diverse reactions. Um, so yeah, definitely I would second a recommendation, though with the caveat that like it's kind of divisive. 
but I'd be fascinated to hear people discover it and hear what they think. But yeah, let's go ahead and just repeat our titles real quick here for uh, the Double Redo. Uh, once again, my choices, uh, my good one was Blue Ruin, and my bad one was the original Prom Night from 1980. Uh, my good one was Promising Young Woman, and my bad is The Assignment. And um, definitely uh, submit your own uh, Double Redo choices to us and some of the, the socials and stuff we'll detail as we go along here. And stay tuned for our picking for next week's episode at the very end of this one. But uh, first, we want to thank some people, like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Christian Thor Lally for our artwork. Uh, follow him at Night of Water. That's night with a K, underscore of, underscore water, for all his great stuff. And uh, thank you to our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash dedbpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to vote in polls for topics and individual movies we cover. And also, you get to um, listen to bonus podcasts we put out for people. Like, for example, uh, around this time, we'll be potentially having out our uh, On the Edge of Relevance, where we cover modern movies about Prey, which have re- would have recently come out. Um, and we have probably a lot of thoughts to say about that new entry in the Predator franchise. And uh, around the end of the month, we'll be having our little bonus monthly podcast that we'll be talking about the 25th anniversary taping of The Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yes, and we'll, we'll talk all about that. And you just have to pay that $1 in order to become a patron and listen to that and vote in polls and stuff. But uh, for more of us, uh, find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod, uh, where you can submit feedback to us there or at our um, own uh, email address, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, for more of me, uh, find me over on Twitter and letterboxes at not the who's Tommy. And you also do some writing at marianithomas.wordpress.com and at film-cred.com. And if you're on Letterboxd, you can find me on there at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. And to hear more of our antics, uh, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, uh, go ahead and uh, listen to all the other great shows besides ours. But definitely, if you want to hear... Oh, like nearly like 200 episodes before we joined Talk Film Society, uh, find our Podbean main feed for so many episodes. And uh, if nothing else, if you don't aren't able to support us on the Patreon, that's totally cool. The completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around and gets us more visibility out there in the internet algorithms. Super easy to do. Don't make us come looking for you. <laughs> I, I will not seek any revenge on people if you don't be, <laughs> share stuff it's cool I, I'm not doing that absolutely will <laughs> no um, the, the views of Adam Thomas once again do not express those of Devil Edge Devil Bill y'all motherfuckers are dead well Adam before you get us sued it's time that we do our picking for next week's episode where every week uh, Adam and I switch up on the quality of good or bad picks uh, for a particular episode and we usually assign the number between 1 and 10, though sometimes our patrons pick some choices, as we'll detail about next week's episode for that. But keep in mind, uh, we assign number between 1 and 10 for those choices. And the other person, you know, says, you know, uh, I'm going to pick number 6. And we're like, oh, that's close to number 7. That's what usually gets us our good and our bad pick. But keep in mind, there's the Godfather rule, where Adam and I each have a single veto in our back pocket to uh, use at some point. We have to use it before next May. And if we hear, like, oh, that number seven is close to number eight, which is this choice, and we're like, I don't want to cover that choice, we can say, actually, I'll take the cannoli. Unless that choice is gone, we have to go with whatever other choice is there. Though that veto is completely exempt from Patreon 
picks because you patrons uh, voted in a poll for our bad pick for our next episode, Movies About Movies, a topic we've wanted to do for quite a while. And uh, Adam had the two bad choices, and you voted on it, patrons, and we ended up getting Bowfinger, which isn't traditionally considered a bad choice by a lot of people, but Adam is not a fan. I am not a fan whatsoever at all. Right, you'll get to hear all about that next time, but he can use his veto for my two good choices if he so pleases. So, Adam, for my two good choices, please pick a number between 1 and 10. Uh, let's just go number two. Okay. This will be very interesting if Adam decides not to veto it, because uh, this would be the first documentary we've ever covered on the show. And it's a documentary that I hold very close to my heart. I think it's a very great documentary about a pretty bad movie. Over at number three, I have Best Worst Movie. Oh, man. Yeah, that's solid. Um, I really, really like that documentary as well. Uh, not whatever I would have imagined you to pick, but yeah, no, I'm not going to veto that. That, that. That's awesome. All right. Well, at number nine, I had a movie that I also think is pretty awesome, a very sort of meta-contextual, weird uh, take on the movies about movies sort of topic. I have Adaptation. Eh. All right. <laughs> Rousing endorsement from that. Yeah. <laughs> You're glad you didn't take the cannoli on that, I assume. <laughs> yeah, I am. I don't hate adaptation, but it's just, uh, it's all right. Okay, well, we'll be talking about Bowfinger and Best Worst Movie next time for our Movies About Movies episode. That means it's the end of the show, Adam. And until next time, we just want to encourage everybody out there, uh, don't seek your revenge. Because I don't think it's going to really result in much of anything except you crying. Or you'll be incredibly happy. You know, roll the dice, see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> Could be happy tears. <laughs>